Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. 
For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. John Copenhaver. How are you doing? I am uh, going nuts these days. I'm trying to finish up uh, my novel by the end of the month, and um, and it's uh, it's going, it's it's going, but it's just uh, I've never written so many words in such a short amount of time. Yeah, you're so shy and quiet all the time. I am. I'm very reserved. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen all these shows you've been at. Don't give me that. Oh yeah, I have been. I've been doing that. I've been going to different festivals and um, you know Tucson and Saints and Sinners in New Orleans. That's been that was kind of a lot, pretty busy March for me. But uh, and it was all it was lovely. Uh, but unfortunately, when you're doing that stuff, you can't get a lot of writing done. At least I, you know I shouldn't speak for everyone, but I certainly. Well, no. Do not get a lot of writing done. In this well, especially when you're laying on the middle of the table. Oh, oh, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, you know. I'm such, such a party animal. Party you know? animal, Copenhagen here. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm like bed, bed to, in bed by nine, Copenhagen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. It passed my bedtime at nine. Yeah. Old. <laughs> well, today we have got a... A writer, and uh, his uh, new book, which is out now, is called Sunset Empire, and it's a Morris Baker novel. So the author is with us, Mr. Josh Weiss. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Real, uh, real honor to be here. Um, I just, I just want to quickly say that, uh, you know, I, as soon as I saw the name of this program, I um, that I had no notes. I was like, I want to be on this. It's called House of Mystery. I'm sold. So. <laughs> be here. I thought you said as soon as you hear the name, you're like, "Are you kidding?" <laughs> Tell the agent, "What are you doing?" You know, I don't want to be in this. What's the mystery? <laughs> yeah, these bad shows. God, what? No, no, you know, two listeners and a bad host. No, it's, it's really great to be here, guys, and and it's just so great um, to to be on the circuit again for my new book. Yeah, do you do you like that sort of thing? Do you like being on the uh, on the tour? You know, like like John over there, he's at all the shows, and he's you know. Hobnobbing with all the writers and stuff. Do you do you like doing book shows and book tours and and all that sort of stuff? Book signings. Yeah, I, mean, I have a, like a love hate relationship because I, I I'm so bad at public speaking and and just speaking in general. That's why I write. 
Um, but it's just fun to, you know, talk to like-minded uh, individuals um, and really promote the book. And, you know, book signings, my friends and family come and it's, it's like a big party. So, um, you know, I can't complain about that. You know, it's a little bit of speaking and then I'm signing and, and kind of shooting the breeze with people. So that, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to meet people and stuff. Do you, have you, have you been, um, let's say, um, has, has the new climate of the world, you know, like with social media and all the platforms and all that stuff, have you adapted to that easily as in selling books like Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and all that? Yeah. I mean, like I grew up in the pre social media age. So I've kind of, it's, I've kind of come up with it and have, have, I've had to adapt with it. Um, but you know, it is, it is, I think it's again, a double-edged sword, um, just cause there's so much noise out there. You're kind of, sh you know, shouting into the, uh, into the void a little bit, especially if you're not, you know, I'm not a Stephen King or, uh, a, uh, James Patterson or something like that. So I don't hold as much clout as those other writers. So it sometimes can be a little difficult to kind of, um, carve out your own niche online, but, um, you know, it's, it's fun. Um, you know, when you're interacting with people again online, it's, it's a little different than being in person, obviously, but, uh, um, I feel like that's not a very good answer, but yeah, it's, it's, again, it's, it has its ups and downs. Stephen King. Now people keep mentioning him and I don't know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to, I can't find him anywhere. I don't oh, know. Oh, you I need guess. to get Stephen King on the show. Yeah, That'd but he's awesome. too small. You know, I, I, you know, I like to have someone at least has had a book out. <laughs> right yeah. something you know even if they've got you know independent self-published one book only type thing at least there's something to talk about <laughs> i don't know what i talked to this guy about you know but maybe there's something um so uh, you're writing this book is this uh, where did the writing start for you because i get a feeling this isn't really your first book so um how did you get into writing i've been writing uh for as long as i can remember i mean in third grade, I think, is really when I began to realize I wanted to do this. Um, even recreationally, we would just do like journal entries in the mornings uh, as soon as class started and we could write about our lives or anything. I mean, I came in one day, I'd seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and I just wrote down a synopsis of the plot because I was so enthralled with that film um, and felt the need to explain to my teacher that I was plagiarizing a film and not writing about something original. But um, you know, it's, it's just, I've always loved to read. I've always loved to write. Um, and I never really thought I could make a career out of it. I kind of just fell into, I mean, I do entertainment journalism now and, and writing written two books now. So I kind of just fell into it. I never thought I could actually, uh, make a profession out of this. Um, so it really goes back to just loving to read, loving to write, writing short stories. You know, I wasn't the, uh, the coolest kid in growing up. So writing was kind of a way to, be the hero of my own story and kind of feel cool about myself. So, um, you know, just a, a combination of all those things. Um, and then, you know, with this Morris Baker series, I, I started a bunch of books in high school. And none of them got finished. Um, and then in college, I finally just sat down and said, I'm going to write this noir inspired alternate uh, crime thriller set during the Cold War in a universe where Joseph McCarthy is president. And this one actually took root and actually got finished. Um, which was kind of surprising. So, and here we are now, two books later, which is very exciting. Yeah, I noticed you're kind of historical fiction here. You're kind of taking these um, times in the past, like, you know, put Joseph McCarthy as president. So you've kind of changed what really happened and you're running with it. What makes you go that way? Like, what made you follow that type of a, a storyline? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I 
just going back to my upbringing, I grew up Jewish. My grandfather was a Holocaust survivor. So kind of looking back at the past was always something, uh, you know, I learned about at home and at school, hearing about my grandfather's story of survival during the war from his son, my father. Um, so it's just something that I've always been fascinated with, just kind of like the way history works, how these little change, you know, almost, and in the first book I talk about kind of the butterfly effect, how these little fluctuations can make these huge changes. Um, and that really fascinates me. And I, I love reading alternate history. I mean, I think Fatherland by Robert Harris is, is genius. It's one of my favorite books. Um, and I really wanted to write something in that vein. So um, again, just going back to my father, you know, I grew up, uh, he, the, our home library, you know, it was Jewish Hebrew texts on one side and, and secular texts on the other. And just all every book you can imagine on World War II. And my friends would come over and make jokes that there were, you know, there had to be a swastika on like every other book in the shelf because my father was reading all these all these World War II histories. Um, so it's just something I've just kind of, you know, kind of through osmosis growing up, um, something I've been fascinated with and just hearing those stories about my grandfather. I didn't know him that well, but I started to build this character in my head and tried to understand, you know, why was he not super loving to me as, as a, when I was a kid before he died? You know, why was he so emotionally distant and cold? So this was kind of a way to kind of get in touch with a grandfather I didn't really know and try to understand how he had gone through these horrors during the Holocaust and how a person could come out the other side whole. And, you know, my conclusion was they wouldn't, they'd be broken, they'd be distant um, and they'd be, uh, they'd be bitter. So that was kind of the genesis of the character and, and the historical setting. I'm really interested in uh, Joseph McCarthy too. In fact, I'm, I'm writing um, a historical novel set during the 1950s and um and i've always been kind of fascinated with him i think uh went back to my high school i think i read a paper on him my senior year of high school um you know what what drew you to mccarthy and then to then give him the presidency um i mean why why that choice and sort of in kind of i guess the many choices you can make in in creating an alternate history mm -hmm. Well, the most basic uh, bit of reasoning was that I had not seen this done before. I had not, not to say it hasn't been written, but I had not writ, read any books or stories about McCarthy becoming president. So that just seemed kind of like unmined uh, territory to start with. Um, and then once I decided, because I had been thinking about wanting to write my grandfather's story, but I didn't know uh, enough to write like a biography or a work of nonfiction. So I kind of had that simmering. And then I saw, um, I've said this, before, but I had seen the original Manchurian Candidate and wanted to write a Cold War mystery thriller in that vein. Um, and then it just kind of, I married, you know, chocolate and peanut butter, just uh, the, the idea is kind of married. Um, and once I decided to have this homicide detective who was also a Holocaust survivor, it just made sense to place him in a context. He had just come out of World War II in the Holocaust. Um, and now he came to America, he wants to start fresh in the quote unquote land of opportunity and everybody's equal. But he's learning now that with McCarthy's president, every history is repeating itself. People are being scapegoated. Uh, you know, anyone associated with communism is disappearing or being persecuted simply because their political beliefs are different or people are just pointing fingers to get ahead in life. So uh, I just thought that was really interesting to explore th 
kind of this character seeing history repeat itself. Did you bring in that nasty woman, Hedda Hopper? There is a little reference to her in, in, in the first book, if you're, if you're paying attention, a little Easter egg, a mention of her and Marilyn Monroe. And Walter Winchell, too. He was a, yeah. a real McCarthy supporter there towards the end. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting just during, during the research process and even while you're writing, just kind of learning little tidbits and working those in where you can, you know, like you just said, Walter Winchell, who was a big uh, kind of Red Scare uh, fanatic as well. So kind of just making him the propagandist almost, you know, almost like the, the Goebbels of, of this uh, administration um, just seemed like a right, the right fit. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I when I learned about Hedda, the uh, how it like uh, homosexuals were automatic communists, you know, and and some of her some of her yeah. theories were she was just just a crazy woman. But you know what goes around comes around because we kind of it's come back again lately, right? And that's that's something that just kind of fascinates me again about history is how we just continue to go through these cycles and. We never learn from our past mistakes. It's just kind of how we are. I mean, it seems like evil is just in our DNA almost, um, which is just very sad. And, and um, so that kind of that bit of human nature, how we just always are looking to point fingers and, and um, blame others for whatever problem comes along and that snowballs into horrific actions. Um, I think that's, you know, it's, it's it, obviously it's set in the 50s, but it's timeless, a timeless kind of motif. Well, you know, it's funny. I think what it is is just like, so a generation now has no idea what it was like to be around in the 60s or the 50s because they it's out of touch. And I guess there's just not enough information in schools at the time to teach you or something. I don't know. Uh, sound, I sound like an old guy. Um, <laughs> but, um, so how, but how do you, as a writer, how do you get your head into the space where you can actually write um, from a perspective of your characters, such as, you know, Morris Baker, you know, the detective Holocaust survivor, because, of course, it's all pre-you, too, as well, so you didn't live it. Um, how do you get into that headspace where you can actually write that character? Yeah, I mean, it's another great question, and I think it's all about kind of finding uh, – finding your way in through something that relates back to you, I guess. And as much as this character is based on my grandfather and, you know, Sam Spade and Philip Marlowe and Jake Giddies and all those great hard-boiled heroes, um, his struggles with faith and belief are really kind of reflective of my own, just going back to what I was just saying about all the evil in the world in the past and now, you know, how can, how can you believe in a higher power um, when there is so much wickedness in the world. And that was kind of just another way for me to kind of work through not only not knowing my grandfather, but also just, the, you know, confronting as an adult, how upside down the world can be sometimes. Um, and I just think, you know, if, if it were me who had gone through three concentration camps and a death march and losing my entire family, I would, I would be bitter. I would be, uh, I would not want to be part of the world. I kind of want to shut myself away. Um, and I think that is the aspect, character trait of Morris Baker that I relate to the most, and that was kind of the way in, um, just kind of reflecting, kind of working through, uh, this was almost like a, or a therapy session, I guess you could say, writing this character, because it allowed me to cathartically work through these feelings. Now, on the new book, Sunset M Empire, um, you get into the Korean-American War. How did you handle that? Like, how do you handle that? Like, are you trying to make... 
I wonder, are you trying to make um, a statement about the actual war that raged on, or were you, is it something different? Um, you know, it's, there's an interesting thing. When before uh, I sold the book, my agent uh, brought, kind of made an interesting suggestion saying, you know, why, why not have things be different? Obviously, this is an alternate reality, but why not have things happen as they did in our world, just in different circumstances, different contexts, and, and later than they did in our world? Um, and so I kind of took that to heart. And in this world, the point of divergence is that the Korean War has raged on. It's kind of the Vietnam of this of this world. Um, and that's what allowed McCarthy to, to stay in power and become president is that he played on that fear, promising to end the war, and he hasn't. Um, so it really was just, uh, I mentioned that, I mentioned it in the first book briefly, but I wanted to really dive in into this book, especially since this book really gets into uh, what um, the influences that, that kind of drove me to write the first book, which was that original mentoring candidate film. Um, it kind of plays around with those Cold War ideas. I want to, don't want to give too much away, but you know, it, it is, um, like I say, kind of a reflection of, of the Vietnam War, and, and I guess you could also say you know, the U.S. involvement in the Middle East as well. So, um, I never set out to write an allegory about the state at the state of the world. I think it just kind of happened uh, accidentally, and but it just again goes back to we just history is is just it rhymes. Uh, I forget was it Mark Twain who said. Um, forget what the quote is, but something about history rhyming. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I didn't set out to make like a bold political statement, but it just kind of happened as I was writing things were mirroring what I was writing in the book. Um, so I, I think it, it plays nicely with that theme of just cycles and, and humanity leaning into its worst tendencies. And you made President Richard Nixon or Vice President Richard Nixon a vice president again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the nerve. <laughs> well, uh, we'll see. He's, he plays a bigger role in this book, in the new book. Um, but I thought, you know, he, he's weaselly enough. And even in this reality, he got the vice presidency. What's so interesting about this time period, though? I mean, why, I, it is fascinating to do like a, you know, uh, a reimagining of it historically. But so many of the things that happened in the 1950s, you can trace back to what's going on now. You know, I mean, I feel like, they just the the seeds were there, right? So you could imagine them going lots of different different ways, you know, during that time period. Um, you know, I I don't know if you, that you include this in the books at all. I'm very focused on the lavender scare, which sort of was a sub category of um, the red scare, and you know that affected uh, you know gays and lesbians were booted out of various government agencies like the State Department stuff. Because like we, like we were saying, Al, they were all conflated with communism, but it was a tool. I mean, it was like obviously, you know, uh, Joseph McCarthy, you know, creating a, a group of people to hate and to be suspicious of to, to then gain power, right? Um, and it's just, you know, it's it's. Uh, I don't I don't think we're done with these issues. I mean, do you think a lot when you're writing the, the your books? Do you are you thinking about them in terms of how? How they might sort of spark or um, land on like contemporary political issues or that sort of thing. I mean, I, I know you're probably not engaging directly, but are you hoping for that resonance? For sure. I mean, I don't want to. I don't. I don't think I go in again wanting to kind of touch on those things just because it might 
become dated if I try to make some sort of statement. I think it's all it kind of, kind of comes naturally with with what's going on in the world. But you know, the fact that the main character is a Holocaust survivor, his experiences are rooted in that age old bigotry of just pointing at the other. You know, like you like you're saying. Uh, riling up people to hate a specific group of people just because they act differently or they behave differently or they look differently. Just, you know, the stupid, honing in on the minutia of what people do and saying that's wrong because, and they're evil because they don't act like us, they don't look like us. So I think the fact that this character uh, is Jewish Holocaust survivor from, from Europe, his um, kind of plight is, is uh, applicable to um, just those those wider themes of, of uh, xenophobia and baseless bigotry and blind hatred and and all those um, nasty things that unfortunately are, are we we still tend to do as as a species. So are, are you going to continue this series? Is this going to be like a long running series? Do you think you're going to going to keep moving it through, or or, or are you going to go somewhere else? Um, you know, I have. I have an idea for a third one. I'd love to start writing it. You know, Scott, uh, talking to my agent now, if you're listening, let's, uh, let's get the wheels moving. <laughs> but, um, I, I haven't, I have an idea for a third one. I have 50 pages of other ideas that I'd love to do. You know, if, if it's something different and then I come back to this, uh, remains to be seen. Um, I have, I have dozens and dozens of ideas that I'd love to explore. So it really just depends on, um, you know, what we can, what my agent and I settle on next. Um, but uh, the wheels are starting to turn slowly but surely. You guys know publishing is a very slow business. So, um, you know, I'm just uh, promoting this new book. I'd love to continue Morris Baker um, in whatever form that may take. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's such an interesting – there's so much going on in that, that time period. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, um, it must have been crazy for someone, let's say, at, at our age now or your age now when you kind of go – if you were back in those times, if you were 50 in, in the late 50s or the early 60s, I wonder if you would have thought the world was ending. It's a, it's a good point, especially because you have the whole Cold War nuclear annihilation thing. I often wonder, like, how prevalent was that in people in the 50s, you know, around that time with duck and cover and the whole Cuban Missile Crisis in the early 60s? Like, how, I mean, I guess you, you're having it explored in great shows like The Twilight Zone um, and, and stuff like that. So... I guess the, I mean, obviously the fear was there, but I'm curious, like the average person, did they think that the the world was going to be erased at any? At any? Well, it had to have, you know, because even me as a kid growing up in the '60s, you know, they had the bomb shelters, and we had we had um, just like you had fire um, practices, you know, where the alarm would go on and everybody would have to go outside for a fire alarm. There's also the bomb raid alarms, too, and everybody would have to go down into the basement of the school. That's just in the 60s, so I could imagine someone old or someone around in the 50s. If you grow up with that, it's got to have an effect. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. The more, I, you know, that time period, you think about it, there's kind of a doubleness, I think, that happens a lot there. Like, the 50s were, were just such a time where people were like, everything had a sort of, uh, you know, you know, polished veneer to it, right? And then there, all this dark stuff was going on underneath the surface. Like, and I think a lot of people are like, you know, uh, just not thinking about it or not consciously thinking about it. But it's all all these issues, like social justice issues, to you know, world-ending nuclear annihilation, 
were definitely all happening in the 50s. But then you look, you start you picking up magazines and stuff, and you look at some of the art that was created then, and some of it is really um, kind of, you know, it, it, it's very light and very, you know, shiny. So it's just such a weird time period. Yeah, leave it to Beaver on TV, yeah. and then yet, and yet you're shooting your president, right? Right. You know, you know what I mean? It's uh, it's such a you know they had a polish. This is what we are, but this but it's not really who they were. Yeah, it goes back to what you we were talking about about why this particular time period, and that's and John just encapsulated it perfectly. Like there was this whole you know gee whiz idealism, if that is a word, uh, to to the whole decade time period, but you know you had anti-Semitism, homophobia, racism, this just, once you peel back the veneer, as you said, it's, it, there was all these societal problems and the threat of nuclear annihilation. And that really intrigued me of exploring this, you know, the post-war economy is booming, everything's great. Um, and we see that on television, but everything in society was, was not that great, both at home and geopolitically with, with Russia and, and the proxy wars and everything related to the Cold War. Um, and I think that, that was interesting. And that's why I wanted to set it in Los Angeles, not only because it's so uh, in, in, inexplicably tied with the genre, but because you have this sunny city, um, you know, known for glamour, this, again, this, this, this facade. And then when you peel it back, there is this kind of grimy, gritty underbelly. Uh, so I thought that was a great uh, parallel to the time period. Yeah, and then you had Elvis come out and shake his hips on TV. Disgusting. You see, rock and roll wrecked it all, didn't it? <laughs> you know, then then the other thing, um, you also bring back the internment camps, and that's a another touchy subject as well. Um, I can't believe how many people, um, younger people, didn't realize there was such a thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy um, just to think about how we were fighting the, the Nazis, how they were doing, putting people in camps because they were different, torturing them and, and depriving them of their humanity. And the United States was doing that at the very same time. They were, their troops were fighting for democracy and freedom. So it, that, again, that dichotomy that just kind of, it's, it, there's a dissonance of, of how you could, you know, do something like that when you're fighting against, against that very practice. Uh, so it is crazy. And, 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 uh, unfortunately, sometimes an obscure bit of history that is not brought up. Yeah, well, it feels like to me, I don't know if you agree, Josh, that, you know, there's a real usefulness in writing historical fiction, whether it's, you know, you're trying to set it in the against the actual incidents or, or imagine, you know, the what ifs. Like, it feels like a, a good, I don't know if you agree with this, but um, it feels like a good way of sort of exploring some of these histories that have been, um, you know, I, in a lot of ways that haven't been taught or haven't been communicated. Um, you know, I was just listening to a podcast called Ultra about the uh, sort of Nazi party post World War II um, in the U.S. And like, <laughs> that's crazy. And I, I, I knew about it to a certain degree you know, as an adult, but I'd never as a, you know, certainly through school, did we ever talk about the fact that in the 1930s, there was a, you know, a group of people in the U.S. trying to, you know, promote fascism. And so it's just, um, I think, I don't know, I think there's sort of a uniqueness, um, and maybe it's just because I write it, but to historical fiction, that it can kind of help pull that stuff up from the, uh, you know, from the past and maybe look at it differently. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. Like you say, just either you know some people it either becomes obscure or people are trying to downplay it the importance of it 
Um, and I think it ties back into just the, the genre itself. I mean, speculative fiction is sort of, you know, it's, I think it's like a subset of science fiction. And the, that genre is always ripe for exploring harsher subjects and topics that people might not be so inclined to swallow if it, if it were just kind of give it to them straight. You know, it is kind of that sugar that helps the medicine go down. And that's why I love the original Twilight Zone so much, because it explored those pressing, put a, it put a mirror up to society through that lens of sci-fi and fantasy. And, uh, and we're still talking about it to this day. So I think it's great to not only boost, um, boost, like you're saying, those kind of little, those, uh, again, I guess more obscure bits of history or things that people downplay or don't think are important to mention to us as we're growing up, um, while also, you know, uh, giving them themes and lessons uh, through the through this kind of not going to say fun story, but this this, this genre of um, of speculative fiction. Well, well, when each time you go through the process of doing one of these books, and this is the second one you've published, um, how how has it changed you? Um, it's changed my bank account for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it just kind of made, it made me, I'd say the process just made me a little more disciplined as a writer. I mean, I do, I write several articles a day for my day job. Um, so just um, kind of that, my day job mixed with writing books, I think I'm a little bit more disciplined. Okay, this needs to get done. I mean, this is kind of the more nuts and bolts of it, but just setting yourself a deadline and a quota to hit um, and, and hitting that quota and being self-disciplined when you're not, you know, this is not a nine to five where you have to fill out a certain amount of spreadsheets or input numbers or whatever. This is you're, you're beholden really to yourself and you have to keep yourself in line. So I'd say it just uh, made me more disciplined. I mean, my when I'm writing a book, I try to hit a thousand words a day and I'm writing every day, even if I'm working. So it's just about um, keeping yourself focused and disciplined. And uh, I think I think it uh, it helped me a little bit better. I mean, I'm still addicted to my phone and social media. I won't lie about that, but. Um, you know, just when, when the chips are down, I think I, I'm, I, I'm good at, uh, kind of focusing on, on what needs to get done as a writer. What do you hope people get out of the book then at, at the end of it? Like someone picks up Am Sunset Empire and reads it and, and that, what is it you hope they take away? Um, it's hmm, a great question. Uh, just, I hope they like Morris Baker as a character, man. I know I've seen people say they, they find him detestable, which is, which is fair. I mean, he's not a lovable cuddly guy he's he's prickly for sure but he is that kind of classic uh, noir hero he's very nihilist uh, and he is based on my grandfather who was not a very loving individual at least to me so um i guess i'm just talking to the haters now but um you know just just that they they find that they find this world interesting i mean personally when i read this genre i just love the little asides to the bigger world and how it deviates and i and i I've had people, you know, say I love this mention of this treatment of this historical figure, or this mention of that. Um, so, you know, just the, I think if they think the world building is interesting and that the character is compelling, I think I've done my job. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Are you keeping track by? Do you have some sort of a Bible or sort some sort of a way of keeping track of your character or characters throughout the series? Then, uh, not at present. I mean, it's only two books, so it's, it, but if it, if it does become this bigger thing, I think that would be, uh, that would be, actually, I hadn't even thought of that. So thank you. Yeah. Get on it because it's the worst <laughs> mistake. Yeah. It's the worst thing that happens is you all of a sudden you start doing book three and four and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, what did he do? You know, and you start thinking about things and, and cause people readers and that are the best 
at pointing out anything you've made a mistake on. They love that. a phenomenal point. And it is, it's funny because, you know, you're so, you become so tied up in it. You're so close to it that you can't really see, you can't see the flaws in it if there are, you know, continuity issues. Um, and that happened with me on the first book. Like there was a huge plot hole that I had to go back and fix late in the process. Um, and I had to do a whole flow chart in my notebook just to figure it out, hold all the pieces in my head. So having a Bible about this world is, is, is a great idea. Uh, if you're writing a book now and you're an author, do that. Don't make my mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we, we interviewed someone else who had, uh, like, they were on their 17th book or something on, on that, and they said the worst mistake they ever made was not having that uh, that sort of outline or Bible or reference book, and uh, it caused a lot of grief. So, yeah, it's get on it. Um, in K, yeah, because you're only in, done two and you're going on three, so I would I would get on it now. That's an order. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. We also interviewed someone who had someone do, keeping a Bible for them. Yeah, <laughs> career goal for my, for me. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Have a, 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 a sub, uh, objective observer almost to kind of keep track of things for you. That, that's, a, that's yeah, a goodness, that would make so much easier. Someone step in being no, no, that's not that's not what. Yeah, no, he can't do that. <laughs> no, he didn't have blue eyes. No. <laughs> Like, you know, it's kind of crazy, I, but it, it, but there's little things. There's a lot of details that go into a book, and you kind of go through it. And, and I don't know about, if, about you, but when, when I'm finished a book, a lot of times you just sort of want to forget it and move on. Yeah. For you sure. know, and so it's hard to kind of keep all the details in there, you know. Yeah, even just, yeah, like little character bios. Because I, I, now that you say it, like just char- like the color of someone's eyes. Yeah, it's like you have to go back and be like, what what does his hair look like? What are what color are his eyes? You know, that's sort of the minutiae. Exactly. Yeah, and it depends on how deep you get. You know, what do they like to eat? What don't they like to eat? Who, you know, just the, the little characteristics that you put into it to have the reader understand who that person is. And um, it's just, it's it, yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to screw up because they love pointing out mistakes. <laughs> oh, and that's another thing. So when you research, too, on on the timing and all that stuff, you have to be fairly um, confident in your, in your details. I know you change it because, you know, you're doing this kind of, you know, alternative way of things happening. But it's still the key things have got to be what they were, I guess. Yeah, and that's that's really the difficulty of it is is kind of figuring out that balance between how accurate are you to the time period and the people, and at what point do you are you able to get creative and diverge and take poetic license? And it's always, you know, if you get too much in the weeds, I think you can kind of get in your own head. And if you if you let that take over, you're going to start writing nonfiction. Um, so it really is a balance. Um, and just yesterday, I had a friend who's reading the first book ask me, you know. Did they? Did this term exist in, in the fifties? And I said, you know, uh, let's just chalk it up to it being an alternate reality. And and one of the characters, going back to what you're saying about character traits, I and mean, Morris Baker loves to drink peach schnapps, which were technically not invented to the eighties, as a mixologist friend uh, pointed out to me. Um, and I still love it as a character trait. I think peach schnapps are foul, and nobody should drink them straight. But it's just it's such a fun thing quirk for this character to have. But you know, at some point, you just have to chalk up the inaccuracies and anachronisms and say, this is a different uh, universe and reality and things are different. I'll say. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll definitely steer clear of peach schnapps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good as a mixer, but never drink it by itself. Heartburn at this age, I'm telling you. <laughs> just the thought of it. But 
So what's next for you? What's next for Josh? What's he going to do? <sighs> well, I mean, just I'm can still pitching book book three, whatever. If um, if that's a third Morris Baker or something different, um, still still ironing out the details on that. Hopefully, there's more exciting news um, right now. Just working. Um, I know I'm going to be in uh, Italy later this month. I don't know when this interview is coming out, but if anyone's uh, in Italy, hit me up. Um, and yeah, just uh, just still doing entertainment articles, interviewing cool people like you guys do. So uh, life is good, I have to say. Are you? Are you? Do you take into account sensitivity? You're dealing with such um, I don't know. They're 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 subject that aren't always, you know easy to deal with and that so are you are you cautious of or conscious let's say of how you write let's say the violence or the hate or the sex in 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 the book yeah it's definitely you know this is i'm not i'm writing writing about all these different characters and people from all these different walks of life so i'm not gonna uh, claim that i know how to write from all these different perspectives but uh, I think having you know a supportive editor and, and people, family and friends or whoever it may be, who will, who are willing to read the manuscript and say, you know, this might be too much, this is too extreme, this word, maybe change it with this. Um, this is not the right description. So it is that, that's definitely always you know I'm always being um, sensitive and, and wary of what I'm writing, but also making sure that you have that outside observer who can give you a different perspective and you know not just say, you know huff and say I know best about all these different things because you don't. Uh, and nobody does. So it's really about being sensitive and also giving it to other people so they can give you feedback and uh, helping it be the best that it can be. So you've mentioned uh, two films in the interview so far. I want to know more about why you're attracted to them. Uh, one was The Temple of Doom, right, when you were young. Um, and uh, I'm a huge indie fan. Of course, there's the next one coming out this summer, I guess. And it, um, the Manchurian Candidate, you mentioned several times, which I get is very connected to this time period. Also a great movie. Um, and Angela Lansbury, particularly like one of my favorite villains of all time in that, in that film. But, but I'm just curious, like what, do you get a lot of inspiration from other films or is it particularly those or, um, yeah, I just love, I've always loved movies as much as I love reading and writing. So I try to write. I hope as cinematically as possible uh, for the reader. I, I mean, I know there's a, I'm pretty sure when Scorsese wrote Goodfellas, he wrote the, the songs, the needle drops right into the script. And there's a ton of those in my books, just references to the songs and the culture um, to kind of place the reader there, even though it is a different time period or a different universe, I should say. Um, but, you know, like you said, Indiana Jones, I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Cannot wait for Dial of Destiny, especially since it's indie fighting, uh, Nazis who were brought here uh, part, as part of Operation Paperclip, which is big in in these in my books. Um, uh, so I just love characters that fight Nazis. I, what can I say? I'm so I just kind of love that pulp, the pulpiness of it. Um, and definitely, Indy is definitely part of Morris Baker's DNA. I, I would say, um, and the Manchurian Candidate and just uh, other uh, paranoia thrillers of, of the Cold War, the Parallax for You, Three Days of the Condor, those types of films. I just love conspiracy thrillers. I don't know. I'm not sure why. I mean, the conspiracy thrillers tie in so well with, with noir fiction, which also deal with conspiracies a lot of times. Um, I just thought the, the idea of an of, of a ordinary individual stumbling upon something bigger than themselves, it just kind of, again, goes back to my, I was a, I was not, I was a nerd growing up. I, I didn't, uh, you know, 
wasn't going on a lot of dates. I was just imagining myself like Indiana Jones as a suave adventurer. So I guess that's where it comes from, just kind of that wish fulfillment aspect of it. Yeah, there's something definitely when you're, I don't know if this is true for all writers, but it certainly was true for me, where as a kid, you're usually reserved, spending a lot of time, you know, by yourself, imagining, and you, you'd always start having these scenarios where suddenly, like, like something really unexpected would enter, you know, <laughs> some adventure would fall in your lap, like it always does in the movies. There's something about that scenario, which I, as a, both as a consumer of, of stories, but also as a writer, is very interesting. Like, they the average folk, average person um, stumbling on an adventure. And it's actually something kind of noir about it too, but I haven't figured that out exactly what it is about that. But um, maybe it's just someone being isolated. That's very noir. But do you have favorite, do you have favorite noir authors uh, that you're kind of go to again and again? To, I think you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of the classic uh, Chandler and especially with LA and stuff. Yeah, you have Chandler habit. I mean, I think most of my, reference for noir comes from films so chinatown um and i love and blade runner uh, i mean who framed roger rabbit i know these are neo-noirs that kind of mix mix up the genre but i i really like that because um it it, it keeps it, it takes that classic formula of the you know golden age hollywood and really kind of spices it up so i recently watched minority report which is also in that style and just i love to see how noir is applied to these different genres um and i think that's really um really my reference for for that yeah there's all there's all this uh sort of conversation about noir is it a genre is it a kind of a look and feel of a film or is it sort of a thematic you know thread i mean do you do you have any opinions about that i'm just curious out of nowhere <laughs> interesting i mean i think it's it's all encompassing i would say it's just it's a, the look of a film the themes the the characters um I mean, this the setting. I mean, I, I almost set this Morris Baker's universe in New York. But then I was like, no, it has to be in Los Angeles. Just it's, it's just so it's such a staple of the genre. So I'd say it's you know it's not something that can I guess you can't really quantify. It is the look of a film. It is the themes of a story. It is the characters who inhabit it. Um, so I uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go with that more general answer. I guess it doesn't really settle the debate, but. Yeah. Well, it's just fun to think about, right? It's, yeah. Um, it's, I, this is the English teacher and me coming out where I'm like, okay, let's try to, uh, you know, pick a to pick a term and see if it fits, and um, knowing that nothing ever fits easily. So, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, the world is 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 you know great. It's not a black and white place, uh, even though those old films were in black and white. But um, it's it's everything's everything's up to interpretation. So, uh, Neil, so you talked about social media and uh, you've adapted. So where do people find Josh? Do you have, like, a website? Do you have uh, – which social media platforms can they connect up with you? Uh, fans, if I have any, um, can find me at on Instagram and Twitter at Joshua H. Weiss. That's W-E-I-S-S. -S. A lot of – sometimes people ask if it's one S or two. It's two. Um, and uh, I do have a website. Um, that needs to be updated. So uh, find me on those social media platforms. And and um, you're not on TikTok? I am on TikTok. I don't make a ton of content. I do a lot of scrolling through TikTok. Uh, a lot of people tell me I should get involved with BookTok. Um, but that is actually one platform I'm still getting used to. It's it's a uh, I'm I'm feeling my age a little bit with TikTok. Well, just get on there and dance. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. With with my buck in the background. <laughs> yeah, get your dog out there and then you guys just jump around and 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 then your dog reads your book or something and then there you go. Should. Yeah, he's adorable, so I feel like he'd drive the uh the clicks. Oh yeah, of course. Oh if yeah, you have a dog animal picture is always a win. Yeah. Dogs are number one, you know. Bring your animal into it and then kind of put the book in there. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, now, of course, the book we're talking about is your new book called Sunset Empire. And uh, the guest has been the author of that book. And look for many more. So, Mr. Josh Weiss, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This was awesome. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www. House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. HouseofMystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.